0: Nikki, I wish you well
1: in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, but the, the fact of, of the matter, and Raytheon, and you know, Boeing you came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. Stage, you've been pushing this lie let, all you week, You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? Is, you want okay, to defund Israel? Okay, let me address that. China. I'm glad you, you brought want that up. To go and give you I'm going to address each of those who right now. This is the false lie of a professional acquisition. I know that you're watching the American you have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? This is Plausibly Live. No, I did not watch the debates. It's, uh, well, I told you I wasn't going to watch the debates, and I didn't. But now I'm kind of getting caught up on what went on. Just FYI, no, no video today. I can explain why, but you can probably hear it in my voice. But there you go. I realized the day after the debates as I watched the ensuing reactions that I might have been mistaken in what I said on Tuesday about the debates being not substantive and that's why I had not watch them, that's why they're useless. I realized Wednesday, Thursday-ish, particularly Thursday because I was driving and listening to some things, I realize that these debates are no longer about issues at all. These are, in fact, little more than game shows. You could call this debate, or any debate, America's Got Candidates. Do some glitzy, you know, background stuff, some some good intro music, have a panel of judges. Hell, in my day, we'd have had a gong, but, you know... The goal in this game show now, what I realized, is not to discuss the issues. It it has nothing to do with that. It's all about looking good and scoring points. That's it. It's every bit as bad as Big Brother or all these other stupid game shows where, you know, the the whole idea is just uh, who looks best. Who comes across the best? We should have seen this comic, by the way. Back in 1960 was the first televised presidential debate between Nixon and Kennedy. And we've talked before about the studies that show that people who listened to the debate on radio, in other words, they could not see it, hands down Nixon won. But to the people who watched it on television, which was by far and away more people, Kennedy won. Why? Because Kennedy looked very tan, very relaxed, he was very telegenic, and Dick Nixon looked like a sweating weasel. He had no television presence, no telegenetic presence at a wall. And so nobody was listening to what he said. They were seeing that he was uncomfortable, sweaty, and just, you know, generally not not comfortable in front of a camera. If you take those criteria, that it's who looked the best, who came across the best, who who seemed the most I don't know, <laughs> MTV esque in this game show that we call The Debate on Tuesday? You would have to conclude that based on the reaction to it, Vivek Ramaswamy won the debate. He led, in the post-debate, all of the relevant social media score categories. It wasn't necessarily a runaway, but clearly better than anybody on the stage. He was, he was the most commented on on social media. He was the most uh, Googled. There were tr- trending on Twitter or X or whatever you call it, on Truth Social, on Rumble, all these other social media platforms. Vivek was just absolutely blowing everybody else out of the way. Now, again, not necessarily in a runaway, but because there was some other stuff that happened, too but clearly better than anybody else on stage. And based on those criteria, if you apply the Nixon Kennedy criteria of who looked the best, who did the best from a presence, you'd have to conclude that Vivek Ramaswamy did the best. We're gonna have to get used to saying that name, aren't we? Now, completely ignoring the rest of the candidates that were on the stage. Other than Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, I look. I don't even know where to begin with DeSantis. Other than his hand raising gaffe where he waited until everybody <laughs> and then looked to see what other people were doing before raising his hand to agree to support the Republican nominee if it was Trump, that was weird. But his weird ass I won't let you down smile where the cameras, oh, good Lord, that is creepy. And I don't really, you know, look, you might be a Floridian and you might love him as your governor, but the dude has no television presence at all. He has no personality. And that's going to hurt him in in these game shows. Other than those noted items, the primary complaint for the detractors of Vivek and I'm I'm not a Vivek supporter I look I I haven't made up my mind yet I'm still out I'm assuming that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee and based on his actions I'm assuming Joe Biden is planning on being the democrat nominee if he's not then it's going to be Gavin Newsom which we can address that another day I don't think that makes sense either but but let's say it is Donald Trump on his worst day is a million times better than Joe Biden and a trillion times better than Gavin Newsom. So, really, I guess I'm voting for Donald Trump. The primary complaint for the detractors of the game show on Tuesday, however, seems to be Ramaswamy's age. He's very young. He's, what, 38? And there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, that I would have agreed with that. He's too young. He's too inexperienced. He doesn't he doesn't understand things. But I got to be honest with you. I've been wondering a lot about that mindset in in recent days. And here's what really makes me wonder about it now. The average age of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, you know, the 56 men who signed with iron pen the Declaration of Independence. You know how old they were? The average age was 44. More than a dozen of them were under 25, and some were even younger than that. The men who were involved in our Revolutionary War, the heroes, as it were, James Monroe, Charles Pickney, were 18. Our show hero, Governor Morris, was 24. And you talk about a man that's packed a whole lot of living into 24 years. Remember, this is a guy that has a wooden leg. 24 years old. James Madison was 25. John Paul Jones, the American Revolutionary Naval his Hero, 28. Henry Knox, 25. Nathan Hale and Alexander Hamilton. Nathan Hale, I regret that I only have one life to give my own country. Alexander Hamilton. George Washington's right-hand man, 21. Andrew Jackson, who would later go on to be president of the United States, as you know, most people don't seem to associate him with the Revolutionary War, but he was there. He was nine. You get the idea here. The argument today is that younger people back then were smarter than they are now, But I wonder if that's necessarily so. Consider for just a moment today our reaction when a younger person comes up with some radical or revolutionary ideas. I'm not talking about communism. I'm not talking about BLM. I'm not talking about Anthra. I'm talking about some crazy idea that we don't like. I don't know. What's a good example? Oh, I know. Drugs. What's our reaction today to people with a radical revolutionary idea versus the same people of our age, I'm 60, in 1775? Now, is youth or relative the experience really that much of a disqualifier? Or is it a way that old folk use to suppress innovation and ideas? That's the real question, isn't it? In the Talmud, we are taught that young people learning is like ink on a new sheet of paper. It's a complicated metaphor, but in essence what it means is that by putting this new ink down on new paper, this learning will be lifelong, and it will it will be remembered, whereas older folk, you know, I'm... I struggle with this. I learn something new, and then the next day I can't remember it. Maybe something calls it to my attention, and I apply it but, it. but in general, people who learn when they're young, they keep it with them. That's what the Proverbs say, right? Raise up a child in the way that it should go. They also talk in that same passage about new wine in new jugs, new containers. And the rabbis taught that it was important to look at what is in the jug, not at the jug itself. A new wine in a new container, it's pure. It has lots of great qualities. And like a young person, it is new, it's pure, it has lots of questions. It doesn't doubt itself. It hasn't separated out into sediments. And even if you took that new wine and put it into an old jug... You might look at the jug and go, well, it's an old jug. It's useless, without looking at what's inside. Likewise, if you put old wine in a new jug, it's not really worth anything. The rabbis made it clear that you have to look at, not at the container, not at the jug, but what's in it. There are older folks who have... As the rabbis would have put it, very little wisdom at all. They have become set in their ways and they've become unwilling to learn new things. They're like ink on an old rubbed out sheet of paper. They're like old wine in a new jug. Might look good, but it tastes like crap. They don't have the wisdom because it's all mixed up and confused by all that experience that they supposedly had. Maybe when it comes to our politics, maybe when it comes to our candidates, maybe when it comes to these game show debates, I'm starting to wonder if it's time to stop thinking of youth as inexperience, as a drawback, as a negative. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to start thinking radically and revolutionarily. I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about BLM or Antifa or Communism. What I'm talking about is ideas that fall within the context of our Constitution, but are perhaps not as conservative, stoic staid as we'd like. Maybe it's time to put some new wine in a jug and some new paper to put that ink on. Maybe it's time to start thinking in those terms, instead of smiling creepily at the camera and saying, just trust me, I know what I'm doing.